Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about spring housing demand and inventory, mortgage rates, and what the housing market might look like in the fall. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, events and program specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association, and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com, and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. It is wonderful to have you here. Let's talk about spring inventory. Let's talk about the spring home buying season. Where are we? Yes. And now that we're past the first week of May, um, and why is that important to me? I always look at spring home buying demand based on what happens in purchase application data after the second week of January to the first week of May. Uh, traditionally speaking, volumes always fall after May. We've had some weird episodes toward the end of the year after 2020, but taking that aside, you get an idea of uh, what's happening. And you know, since November 9th of 2022, I, I try to do these weekly updates because uh, we had a we had a very interesting talk about like what really drives housing, and I in it's the simple thing is mortgage rates are such a big deal, <laughs> um, and mortgage rates for me is really where the ten year yield is going. So since the ten year yield has been trending lower, demand has stabilized from November. Now, if I take it from November 9th to this point, after some holiday adjustments, seventeen positive prints, seven negative prints. If I look at the year to date after the second week of January. 10 positive prints uh, versus seven negative. So, so far this year, demand is slightly positive, but in context to what happened last year, it's a huge story. Um, And I think that people who followed my work over the years, I've, I've always stressed that it's really, really rare in America after 1996 for home sales to trend below 4 million on the monthly sales data. But we actually wrote that article on November 9th saying that the forward-looking data is looking like it was going to get down to 4 million, which would be like a historical event to go from 6.5 million to 4 million on the monthly sales data. So when we see what's happening, lower mortgage rates, even getting down toward the low sixes, stabilize the market. If it went below, you know, 5.75, you know, and headed lower, the, the, to me, the, the, uh, the whole dynamics of housing really changes. So we have stabilized a marketplace that was 
crashing in demand. And that's that's all I see so far in, in, in 2023. If existing home sales were trending at, let's say, 5.3 million, you know, um, and we had this data, then, you know, the question is, can you can we keep those sales levels? Not likely. But since we are here, since we hit that 4 million level, we had that one initial bounce. I'm trying to create ranges for people to to kind of work off of, which was really effective in the last cycle, but there was so much more calm back then. So we had to wait for that first big bounce in home sales to happen, which it did. It was almost 600,000 homes bought on a month-to-month basis. That's extremely abnormal. But between four to 4.6 million, we're kind of here. Now, if you look at that on the existing home sales basis, that's uh, extremely low uh in post nineteen ninety six but the market stabilized i mean that's that's what I come off with uh with ten positive prints and seven negative whenever rates go up when the general the ten year yield goes up, we tend to have weaker purchase application data when it goes down, we tend to have positive uh so it's trying to find a base. The question is what's the next big move in rates? Is it higher or is it lower? Oh, that is a great question. But before we move on to that, can you give us a little bit of background? Because I get a little bit lost in the numbers because you're talking about 4 million and 6 million, but we know that inventory is like less than 1 million. So how does that work? Because low inventory does not mean sales can't grow. And and this has always been one of my biggest pet peeves in the last 10 years. Total active listings is basically what is left after people buy or sell homes. You can list your home, sell it right away, buy another home. There's no growth, right? You know, the active listings is really what's left kind of over, uh, uh, especially on these month-to-month inventory reports. So people assumed, and this is pet peeve of mine, and and I was all written in my work in the previous expansion, people kept on saying, there's no homes to buy. How can sales grow with no homes to buy? And using the active listings number, there are homes to buy. When demand picks up, people list their homes, they sell them, they buy another one, home sales go up. We saw that in the housing broke out in sales when active listings hit all-time lows. That logic has to die. Because <laughs> if, if people haven't realized that, you know, people go, how are home sales rising? It's a function of demand. Now, when mortgage rates go up a lot, you know, people don't list their homes, they don't sell to buy another one. Or if the days on market starts to rise, inventory can move itself up higher. The last time that happened was in 2014 here. Uh, uh, we, we had a, such a shock in mortgage rates that the the pace of where things were being sold uh, reversed, but you can have low active listings and higher sales demand as long as you have people listing their homes, selling them, and 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 uh, uh, buying another one. That's what keeps total active listings low. But uh, if it, it is confusing for people because they were told that there's no homes to buy. I mean, you go back to 2015, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. They all said there's no homes to buy. How can sales grow? Oh, it grew. Right, uh, it might not have grown as much as people would like, but uh, you you list your home. You if you sell it right away within thirty or forty five days, it doesn't come up in the, really uh, the 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 active listing. So uh, the function of supply and demand is not you know there's 
1 million homes available, how can you have 5 million home sales? No, it's, it's that supply and demand equilibrium. And that's why I'm a really big days on market guy. Uh, days on market being a teenager, terrible. Nothing ever good happens in housing when the days on market are a teenager. You either have a massive credit boom or you just don't have enough supply uh, in the marketplace. Uh, for us, last for this time, we we didn't have a massive credit boom. If you look at purchase application data from 2002 to 2005, market never resembled that. But we did have active listings uh, break to all-time lows. So too many people chasing too few goods and pricing being firmer now uh, uh, nationally, it's the same concept. It's not because demand is booming, right? You know, it's hard to convince people that, you know, during, you know, when sales were rising. But here, it's not like sales are booming. It's the same concept that I've tried to talk about for the last, you know, two, three years. This marketplace is a function of low supply and too many people chasing too few goods. You don't need 7 million existing home sales. Uh, in this, if you could just get four to four to 4.6 million, it stabilizes the marketplace. Well, it is confusing because to me, like when we're talking about, we track inventory on a weekly basis, we use the Altos data to do that. You use Altos data to do that. And and that's important because that total inventory number does play into this. It's not like that's not an important number. Yeah, it, it is. You know, Mike does a good job when Mike talks about his new listings and immediate sales, right? It's it's a it's a different count than the new listings count by itself. So if you put your homes on market, you you find a you find a buyer very quickly. By the time that home is sold, it's 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 gone, right? So people have to look at it in that way and make sense. But I mean, this there's countless of articles that I wrote that said, you know, the, the notion that there's not enough homes to buy, it's just a function of demand. People, I mean, millions and millions of people buy homes every single year, but the total active listings have been falling lower. We just did not have enough product available. For, and that's why prices accelerated. Days on market fell. Um, and here, days on market, unfortunately, per the last report, went below 30 days. Not, I mean, when it got to 37, I was happy. When it went above 30, I'm like, savagely unhealthy housing market's over. But now we went back down to under 30. And it's not because we have a booming demand or anything like that. It's just as people have to realize active listings matter in terms of how many people are looking for those homes available. Um, and again, a lot of people, when they sell, they traditionally buy another home. Right. That's part of a process. You know, things move a lot faster now these days than in the past. You know, uh, you can buy a home much faster now than we used to be. I think anybody in the industry remember the old days, you know, I mean, the loan process used to take like 30 to 45 days. Uh, it's it's much faster these days. So you have to kind of move at the times and uh, adjust everything. But uh, definitely um, uh, some people were confused because. You know, 2020 uh, home sales were up. 2021 home sales were up, but total inventory was at near all time lows, or actually, you know, uh, in a sense, got to all time lows. Remember, function of demand list a traditional seller is a traditional buyer as well. But we do track that uh, active inventory, right, and new listings um, on a weekly basis so that we can kind of see where things are trending. And last week, it went down. Yes. Now, active listings are higher year over year. So there's more supply this year than last year. That 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 we know. We're also heading to an area where we might have uh, negative year over year listings data. Unfortunately, what you know, what what's happened after 2020 is that if we ever get demand picking up toward the end of the year, 
it peels off these homes going into the spring. And we start the seasonal bottom in inventory a lot later than we used to. So what's occurred right now is that demand is stable and you know we can't get much traction on active listings, but also new listings data is trending at all-time lows. So I think that that's the bigger story right now on the inventory side is that after the second half of 2022, uh, new listings data started to decline year over year. Now, on a numbers basis, you know these weekly numbers, it's not like we have some weeks that are really noticeable year over year, but it's not like too dramatic on a percentage basis. This is why I think like housing economics gets confusing because people look at percentages, like percentage increase in inventory last year's Oh, like people say foreclosures are up 700%. I try to guide people into raw numbers than percentages because one one of the things I I remember in 2018, people thought housing was crashing in 2018 because they take the percentage increases of inventory and they make it seem like massive inventory is coming when you're just working from a low base. And total inventory actually didn't even grow that year, but people go, oh my God, it's up 30%. If you want to do yourself a favor, Take the percentages away. Look at the raw numbers. When you look at the raw numbers, like I try to show, it it, it makes a little bit more sense. Um, New listings data trended at all-time lows after the second half of last year, and it's been trending at all-time lows this year. So you're not getting a lot of people listing their homes. To me, that is a function of demand, right? Higher rates, higher home prices, so people can't afford it. Right, they're waiting for a better time. What What do we know about the history of housing economics past 2010? When the ten year yield falls, mortgage demand gets better. When the ten year yield rises, <laughs> mortgage demand gets worse. Mortgage demand runs the housing market. It's not Wall Street, so you kind of just don't want to overcomplicate it. Uh, um, that's why the ten year yield, mortgage rates, that romantic slow dance. That's a really big thing. You just have to figure out where you think the 10-year yield is going and where mortgage rates are going in. And of course, those the spreads are really bad. Mortgage rates should be five and a quarter today, but they're not. You just got to deal with that and uh, um, see where rates go next. Because if rates go lower, traditionally demand gets better. better. This doesn't mean active listings are going to blow up higher, right? The mortgage rate lockdown, Sarah, does not have a lot of history to it. Um, traditionally, what happens when rates fall, demand gets better, better active listings either stay flat or go lower. So people that are thinking that a lot of homes are going to come onto the market, well, homes are going to come onto the market if they are you know, have buyers to them. That's why the history of uh, inventory after 2010 looks so much different than they did from 2000 to 2008. So you've explained why active inventory might not, you know, show all of these millions of homes that are being bought, but new listings data, right? I mean, new listings data is is more of a, a trend line because it's like you can't sell a home even if you sell it the same day; it has to be listed. Yeah, listed in immediate sale, like like Mike talks about, and then you know, really, if you just if you just if you just follow forward looking purchase application data, it really shows you know where where demand got better. It's just that we had a historical crash in sales last year. I mean, I I, I still to this day do not think people can appreciate we collapsed the housing demand market in the biggest fashion ever. To go from six point five million to four million, that's that's historic. Like it, it took like. A few years, you know, from the peak in 2007 or 2005 to get down to 2007 levels, right? It took a few years. We did it in less than a year. So um, new listings, not 
all-time lows. Uh, home sales are looking like they're going to trend between four to four point six million. Uh, if rates do fall, sales can grow. Um, and what what that also means is that active listings can peel off lower, right? Because we don't have much. That's the that's the problem with housing in twenty twenty. That still doesn't get appreciated. We are not dealing with a lot of homes. I mean, the home ownership vacancy rate is 0.8%. The homeowner's vacancy rate is at 0.8% people. That is not a good sign. Uh, the peak of the housing crash period, it was like 2.9%, right? So remember, there's the stock of homes out there. And then there's the, you know, w- what we work off with supply and demand for the year. Millions of people buy homes, a seller's a buyer, first time home buyer, uh, investor, cash buyer. There's all these different types of buyers in there. Only one of them really provides inventory, right? And that's the, you know, move up or move down seller. In theory, you could have an investor that might want to load a property and not buy. That that's true, but here the seller who traditionally buys is really the big driver of of supply. So you just said the investor could sell off. Okay, the Airbnb crash, right? We hear that a lot. The, the <laughs> I know one of your things. The Airbnb bus. Uh, now people have to remember the Airbnb bus was a 2018, 2019 story because people take like pictures of all the Airbnb homes, and every investor is broke, and everyone's going to rush to the market. So in 2021, you know, the travel wasn't good. You know, so everyone is going to flood the market with it. So, so the air in the actual Airbnb bus was last year, right? Because that that all makes sense. You know, their the their travel was weak. The economy was, you know, no, nobody believed in the recovery, and then now people are traveling back again. So this was the year that the Airbnb bust was supposed to happen when people are traveling and vacation. It's a really interesting concept, by the way, <laughs> that, 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 that people are spending a lot on traveling. And that was the year that they chose to have the massive supply by Airbnb. Because l- let's be honest, these are not housing people. <laughs> just, I just, just, I mean, it's, it, well, if there's I'm, one I'm thing. I'm going to say there's like, because I'm on a, a lot of those forums, right? Because I have been an Airbnb operator and own a short-term rental. And so part of that is, you know, people are seeing, some people did see a lot uh, less traffic in their, in their short-term rentals starting about six months ago. And that's because people were flying other, you know, so they're traveling, but they're not traveling maybe domestically. Well, it, from what I what I from what I've seen on the Airbnb bus thing, that was really supposed to be a 2021, 2022 story, right? And that's that didn't happen. Um traditionally when I think of a bus, it means like at least 30 or 40 percent of the active inventory in in a segment would have to come onto the market. And I'm just going to say this, there are people out there who forwarded an investor theory that once sales crash, and we got to remember this, once sales crash, massive inventory would come because the housing market was a bubble. This is all true if sales crashed and inventory skyrocketed. And again, I, my, my job is to try to teach inventory channels. Mike teaches inventory channels you know, his way. Um, and my thing is that, that the credit channels are much different now. So uh, I think I think a lot of like housing crash people are now coming back to their their original core self and now starting to push a recession and that that's who they are 
right? They're 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 extremely bearish people. But I think this is they're more they're more comfortable now letting go of the massive inventory spike that was supposed to happen in 2021 or 2022 and now just full on recession recession. And I think that's probably a, a more comfortable place for them. Uh, to be in every single day, people losing their homes, losing their jobs, inventory, you know, these, these are the things that make these people excited and happy. And I think that's, that's why you, you, you've seen this switch from mythical theories of inventory spiking to now, uh, okay, it's a recession time. So, so at least, at least in that sense, I actually do agree with them. They should really start pushing for people to lose their jobs and their homes. <laughs> This, these are the people you fight back. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, Sarah, you just there's there's mentally you have to check on these people. I mean, every <laughs> single day for 11 this years, and you do. think that doesn't that doesn't mess you with your head? Yeah, no. you know, uh, I they there's there's and the fact is they got older. So think about it. You're aging, and then this is what you think about every single day, and it doesn't get easier for a lot of people, right? Some some of us can age better than others. <laughs> but for others who are constantly think everything's going to crash and then you get older, it's tough. It's it's a tough place to be. And no, none of none of us are Dorian Gray, not even me. So nature wins in the end. Not even you. <laughs> I love it. Okay, um, let's talk about mortgage rates. So we've we've hit on it a couple times. You know the inflation data this week was one of those things that you wrote an article that said the inflation data is good for mortgage rates. Where are we going with mortgage rates? So one of the things I thought I should do with uh, the 10-year yield chart, and by the way, Gandalf the Gray still has held the line, you shall not pass. (laughs) And remind us what that line is. That's a 10-year yield Line. So that's the 10-year yield, kind of around 3.37 to 3.42. And many months ago, I said, this level is going to be a little bit more difficult than people thought to pass. So I thought how to relate to people is Gandalf sitting there and saying, you will not pass. Well, it's been tested eight times now. <laughs> and I, even myself, I'm sitting there laughing. I'm thinking, it's going to hold, isn't it, Brad? It's this not now. We did technically break it for a very short period of time. That was the that was the height of the uh, financial banking crisis with Silicon Valley Bank, and we just went right, right back up. You know, so, um, uh, you know, what, one of the things I wanted to relate uh, this week is that we've had lower ten year yields with higher year over year inflation. So, kind of the chart I created. Uh, 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 recently is to show the year over year inflation data and where the 10 year yield is. And uh, we, we've had like 9% year over year inflation data, but the 10 year yield was at 3%, right? So technically speaking, how the bond market works, you just, you just have to find your inflection point and hold it and this stick with it. And you have to believe it. And four and a quarter last year was like, okay, there's a lot of market stress. Bonds are selling off. You know, this is going to be it. We're going to, we're going to stick it and hold the ground here. And then, uh, that's why we wrote that article on October 27th, the case for lower mortgage rates, the 10 year yield has not been able to break above four and a quarter. So the whole 2023 forecast is not so much about inflation. The growth rate of inflation is falling. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's predicting like a reacceleration of inflation. It just doesn't make sense with the how shelter has been weighted out. But the labor market is still tight in that sense. 
Uh, so I thought the only way we break really below 3.21 is jobless claims have to break. And then the bond market will realize that. And you know, the on October 27th, the Fed's main recessionary indicator flipped and uh, tagged. So if you connect the dots, hopefully it tries to make sense. But I tell you, man, bond market channeling forecast, nobody wants that action. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, who wants to do that? And it's just crazy. And you know, you just people go, oh, it's here, here. But for right now, just for this year, as crazy as it sounds, everything looks right, right? I assume the spreads were going to be bad. So rates between 5.75 to 7 and a quarter, we've been in a range between 5.99 and 7.10% or 7.10%. And um, I know people are getting lower rates than that, you know, buy downs or whatever it is, or seller credits, but that's kind of the range. So it looks right. Jobless claims had a recent a little bit of an uptick but if we break over 3.23 on the four week moving average on initial claims and the 10 year yield is still above uh 3.21% then i got that wrong cuz i'm waiting for that to happen now the banking crisis is a brand new huge variable okay this is not a small thing this is a huge variable and the history of economic cycles, the tightening of credit is late in an expansion. It goes into a recession, right? I believe the Federal Reserve loves this, right? This gets them what they want. Um, and uh, uh, even incorporating that so far, the bond yields haven't broken below. So it, it just shows to me that that Gandalf line was even more important than even I thought. And I was bringing Lord of the Ring characters. I mean, I brought Balrog into the economic housing discussion. Jeez, who who does that? So uh, uh, it held up again. I think that's when I left, the 10-year yield is like 3.42%. But um, it's it's going to get really interesting in the second half of the year uh, with the economy, with the 10-year yield, mortgage rates, spreads. What's the labor market doing? Because uh, uh, spring spring demand is almost, you know, seasonal is almost done. It's the second half of 2022. Let's see what happens because last year rates skyrocketed, right? We had, we went we went from that six and a quarter to five percent. That five percent to seven point three said that froze the market completely, right? Uh, one of the biggest I would say events that I've seen within a year to have that kind of uh, rate increase in in one year. Uh, but if it stabilizes and heads lower, heads below five point seven five percent, boy. Like that, that's that, that would be a material big change. But as of now, we just have the Gandalf line, we hold that and we just wait and we read the data weekly, right? We incorporate everything into housing because if you're, if you're a housing person, you have to incorporate economic cycles. You got to look at commodity prices. There's all these different things. And uh, I think now we're going to get into an interesting stretch uh, uh, in the second half of uh, 2022. Or I agree with that. So, you know, you were talking about the fact that the spring buying season had been impacted by the late fall buying season, right? And it feels like that's what we're going to do again, because we haven't had a blockbuster spring. If rates go down in the fall, it's going to be another repeat, don't you think? Sarah, it, it is it is another of my nightmare scenarios. <laughs> I don't know if, if people remember this. Um, in October of 2021, we wrote an article saying, what am I like, what's, what am I really worried about? It's not so much higher rates as much as 
if if demand picks up more toward the end of the year, we're just going to start the year at all time lows in inventory. It's not a good thing. That that was the functional basis groundwork of the savagely unhealthy housing market. So that's why I said in February, I said that's it. That's the worst housing market I've seen. There's too much bidding wars. You know, this has to end. I don't mind to see a a a a, a mild increase toward the end of the year if rates fall. You know. But I just don't want to be in the same position because what's going to happen is now the year-over-year comps are going to get really favorable in the second half of 2023. Like if we just kept everything on par, you're going to have positive year-over-year sales. Uh, There's a good shot that inventory is down year-over-year. And uh, it's just, you know, and that's part of our job is to explain, you know, it's really the comparables are, are more favorable, not because demand. So we have to like functionally think, what do we look like? Like when when do we actually know demand is really picking up? Well, I would say if existing home sales start to get above four point six million, uh, that's 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 a legit thing. If when do we know the demand's really getting weaker? Well, existing home sales below four million, so we got ranges to work with. We'll see what happens if 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 mortgage rates fall. So it's it it's crazy, Sarah. It's crazy. I mean, I I, I sit here and I and I think about what we had during the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And it was boring. I know. <laughs> the last the last cycle was so boring. I mean it, the only interesting the only interesting year was really twenty eighteen when rates got when rates got to five percent, people thought the housing bubble crash was happening or something, <laughs> but it's not. And here you're dealing with bank crisis, global plagues, you know, uh, uh credit getting tighter. You're dealing with a Federal Reserve that wants to see a job loss recession. That's I think that's the that's the odd part for a lot of people. They've never seen a Fed actively pursue. They're, they're still waiting for the Fed to pivot. And what do we talk about here in the housing wire uh, toward the end or, or last last fall? We are not Fed pivot people because they told us we are not pivoting until we break the labor market. And the labor market is softening, but it's not breaking yet. I thought you were going to ask me to say old and snow. Old and slow. Oh, old and slow. I, I yeah, thought you were totally. prompting the old you know, it's, and slow. What's, 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 this is a very fascinating topic. We talked about this on uh, Twitter this morning. The baby boomers are really happy. Think about if you're a baby boomer right now, you're getting your interest income is higher. You've wiped out all those pesky kids trying to buy homes. So the baby boomers have become the bigger buyers because a lot of them don't, they don't finance their homes, you know, and they, their financing is much less. So they're they're getting more income and they're buying more homes than young people, right? So if you're a baby, we're like, wow, okay, my social security's up, my interest income's up. There you go, yeah, this is good stuff, right? You know, uh, if you're a millennial, you're thinking, okay, great, another year of renting, okay, you know, uh, I and and there's there's really nothing you could do about it because we we haven't had to deal with an inflation for for so long. So uh, I know it's frustrating. You know, um, but uh, there is one group that won those baby boomers, and not only that, home prices didn't collapse. They're sitting there; they got higher net income. They're probably just like, yeah, life is great, and they look like Jay Powell too because they're all the same age. So, <laughs> okay, we are not going to go into the way people look. No, no. We're, 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 it's not. It's not a physical appearance; it's an age appearance. And no country has a Dorian Gray labor market, Sarah. No country or no homeowner is going to live forever. Right, so uh, it's a it, it's it's a it's a good time for them in that context. If you have the ability to get a higher uh, 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 interest income, definitely for sure. 
It is. Well, I wanted to mention one thing before we are done here because our time is up is that you and I are going to be doing this podcast live at Gathering of Eagles, which is um, June 18th through 21st. We're going to be doing it on the 21st live on stage. We're going to have some more people up there with us. It's going to be really fun. Um, And people, we're going to have an ask me anything for you and potentially whoever else is up there on stage. So people should come and hear you're giving the keynote at um, Gathering of Eagles one of them and the economic keynote, right? And we want, and we're going to do our podcast. So people should come and participate in that podcast. Yes. Participate in the podcast. And also if any of you have Instagram, I nerd out with Instagram videos every day. Uh, and there is a weekly ask Logan anything as well. And uh, again, our job is to try to make as much sense with the economic data Uh, as possible. Whether it's positive or negative, it's irrelevant to what purpose the ideological sense is. You have to go with the numbers. And the numbers sometimes are very hard to understand because uh, I I think the the biggest shock that I, I, at least from what I've seen over the last six months, is that people cannot believe the housing market stabilized with rates above 6%. Okay, so I, I actually understand that because because nobody we've ne- we haven't had a housing market with six percent rates. So here, um, let's uh, let's realize follow the weekly data. You track the weekly data; it works, right? And this Monday we'll have a new one, and we'll try to make as much sense as we can as possible. Well, Logan, thank you so much. Thanks for helping us make sense of the numbers. As always, thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure is all mine, Sarah. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax, and Home Services and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.